September of 2020, I woke up and I went downstairs. My husband was making breakfast for our three kids, which was awesome. And he was just standing at the sink. The kids were laughing and yelling, playing and eating. And the Colorado sun was out extra early that day. And everyone seemed a bit sunny and cheerful. Except me. I'm not really a morning person. I made my coffee in silence, which is normal. And I sat down at the counter. My husband looked at me and smiled and said, good morning. The moment he said this, something entered the atmosphere and I could see it in my mind. Like I was watching a movie. From the left, there was a fog rolling in. It wasn't touching my kids and it didn't get near my husband. And it passed in front of him, in front of the waffle machine and the plate of bacon and paused right in front of me. It was like it was waiting for permission to enter my atmosphere. I felt instantly annoyed and yet nothing was wrong. My husband started to give me sort of a strange look because he had said good morning a few minutes ago and I still hadn't responded to him. I frantically tried to assess what I was feeling, which is my least favorite thing to do. But in a matter of seconds, I realized I was being invited into a fence. That fog in front of me was the actual spirit of offense, a lying spirit, and it was showcasing itself in front of me as an option. And from its perspective, I was an opportunity and a mind to manipulate. Waiting to be breathed in, the fog paused, still waiting for my permission. And how does one give permission to the lying spirit of offense? simply by agreeing with it. By this time, my husband was looking at me and I was in outer space. And I just blurted out, the spirit of offense is trying to get me to agree with it. My husband responded, babe, I'm so sorry. Did I offend you? No, 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 no. Stop talking to me. I'm talking to God. In this moment, you're probably wondering how I snatched up such an incredible husband when I have the likability of a cactus. But we got time. And I will tell you all the stories. Back to the fog. I asked God, why are you showing me this? No answer. The fog lingered. And in this strange moment where time and space become thin and slow down, I was being allowed to consider what the options were. The way I was understanding this was that this lying spirit could not access me unless I agreed to the lie. The lie being that I was offended. It seemed like I was watching for the first time how free will worked in the supernatural realm. And I don't think that I was aware that I had the freedom to choose even what thoughts I consider. And in some supersonic fast moment of going through a million files in my mind, I was considering how many times I had agreed to a lying spirit And then lived, assuming it was some kind of Christian suffering to endure the fight, to get out of the thought. The thought I had never wanted in the first place. And that one thought would lead to countless other thoughts, creating imagined conversations and new fears and rehearsing in my mind and emotions how I'd react to those fears and conversations as if they were freaking true. And then as quickly as it comes... That sneaky and small lying little spirit leaves. 
because I've already created the miles of Grand Canyon-like neural pathways of mental and emotional grooves in my mind. I've spent endless days and hours trying to fight my way out of a thought that I casually considered and some that I deeply considered, like suicide, drinking again, running away, divorce, fears of my husband and children dying, and being left totally and utterly alone. And when a thought becomes a consideration, that consideration can lead to an agreement, and the agreement leads to a belief. And in a matter of moments, the thought has become a way of living. This is what I mean. If I considered the lie that I was offended That would instantly make me a victim and someone was to blame. In this case, it would be my husband. If I agreed with the offense, that would create a wedge and a separation between us. And without communicating or pressing in, I would start to believe that Matt was not for me, but against me. Can you imagine what my marriage would look like or any other relationship would look like if I considered this thought? Well, we don't have to imagine very hard because... We're all living in some kind of version of this, right? Could a thought really trigger this mental game of Planko? And had I been too preoccupied to discern them? Crap, how had I missed this? Did I have the power to choose even what I think about? And how many times a day was I considering and agreeing to thoughts that only had the intention to divide and segregate me from everyone else? The fog was still waiting and I could sense the growing impatience of it. It was starting to become agitated and it was going from a soft, pleasant fog to a static frenzy. I wasn't offended. I wasn't angry and nothing was wrong. Nothing had happened. But God was showing me what the supernatural experience looked like. I didn't want to agree to the spirit of offense. So I just asked God, how do I move in the opposite spirit? And his answer was not at all what I expected. He answered with one word, pursuit. What? I don't get it, God. He said it again, pursuit. These moments are totally hard to describe, to put into language the way in which the Holy Spirit reveals things in ways that don't need an explanation. It's like the Trinity speaks Tracy. And they do that because they want me to get it. I looked at my husband and I understood. I had to risk asking him to pursue me. I halted immediately because obviously my own pride. And then the next thought of shame because my husband does pursue me. And would this request make him feel like he isn't doing enough? Thankfully, my body is quicker to to obey than my mind. I got up and went over to Matt where he was still washing the dishes and asked, Hey, will you pursue me a little bit more? There was no need to make this make sense because it just did. For a while now, Matt had been in some pretty hard depression. And without telling his story, I will say that just getting up and out of bed was hard. And now I was asking him for more. But what I didn't understand until later was that Matt pursuing me was something he could do, something he could feel good about. And as I heard my husband say yes and wrap his dishwater hands around me. I heard God whisper in my ear, Matt pursuing you is a path out of his depression. What? 
Did all of this happen in a five minute time span and my coffee was only two sips in? I mean, God showed me how the enemy is sneaking up and presents sin as an opportunity. God showed me what free will looked like in the supernatural and showed me that sin waits for my permission. The spirit of offense isn't even allowed access until I say so. Then God shows me the antidote, pursuit, which simultaneously offers a way towards healing for my husband. He showed me that moving in the opposite spirit not only resists the devil and makes him flee, but also reveals opportunity for God's kingdom to come. This is so freaking brilliant. God doesn't waste a single moment to reveal his goodness and to teach us how to rule and to reign in his kingdom. That fog had to dissipate because I chose a different thought and I agreed to a different kingdom, one of connection and love. There's a lot to unpack here and I'm not even going to do that. But I want to linger on this revelation, that the way to counter the spirit of offense is pursuit. Like I said before, this occurred about nine months ago. And at that time, our country was about six months into the pandemic. The election was ramping up. The Black Lives Matter movement was alive with ache and energy. There were protests and shootings, the Me Too movement, chaos, anger, fear, and frenzy. The world was really, really noisy. We don't have cable, not because we're weird and don't watch TV. I love TV, but because we're cheap. So I had to search for news. And between online resources and social media and just talking to friends, I was shocked by how totally and completely polarized the world and our country and even the church had become. There was division and disregard in ways that seemed violent and extreme. And there was so much offense. People were offended and it was hard to keep up with all of the offenses. Wearing a mask was offensive. Not wearing a mask was offensive. In the movements and political debates, people were offended if you said something and and offended if you didn't say something and then offended by the thing that you said, then offended by that apology you gave because of the thing that you said or didn't say. And the worst is that people began to get offended by proxy, like you were offended on behalf of someone else. I would talk to people and listen to their outrage. And sometimes what they were outraged by, they had no actual connection to. It was confusing. And so I got offended. I was offended by how frustrating all this offense was. And I was a frust- I was a frustrating, offended mess. The spirit of offense was given massive access and it was dividing us and dividing us over and over again. Divided by assumed supposition and ideologies, viruses, and lack of clarity, it was hard to know who was for or against, who was angry and who was hurt. And in a time where we needed each other, we were alone. The spirits of fear and pride and offense sent us all into solitary confinement. We drove to Michigan in the summer of 2020, just months before my fog encounter, to visit Matt's family. In seriously one of the friendliest and sweetest towns on the lake, we stood, socially distanced, of course, in a line to get a corn dog. Matt was parking the car and my three-year-old son and five and six-year-old daughter stood in a line that divided two groups of protesters. Initially, they seemed peaceful and in clearly separate protests. 
I could not see how they would interact or interfere with each other, so it didn't seem like a bad idea to wait. As we were standing there, my five-year-old daughter asked me why that lady was holding a sign. We were standing about a foot away from a gorgeous African-American woman. She was holding a sign that said Black Lives Matter. I hadn't yet fully explained the happenings of this movement because our extended family is multiracial and my super Irish looking kids were madly in love with their black cousins. And the mere idea that someone would not be totally obsessed with their cousins like they were was just not a thought my kids knew how to hold or even consider. The only reference they had of discrimination and of racism was when I was reading them a book about Mount Rushmore and how the Ku Klux Klan had a say in the whole undertaking of the mountain. In the book, there was a picture of the KKK and they asked, what was that? I was not prepared to discuss the KKK and white supremacy while reading a book on Mount Rushmore, so I had not prepared the right response. I mean, how do you convey the atrocity of hate to your small children? That people hate people because of skin color. And when asked important questions by my tiny humans, I tend to over-communicate and over-complicate with good intentions. Parenting is hard, you guys, especially when you're trying to raise good people. Here's what I told them. I said, these are a group of people who they're full of fear and people who are full of fear are afraid of others. And another way that fear comes out is hate. This particular group of people were afraid of and hated black people because they were, well, black. My kids were totally perplexed by this thought. They thought I was crazy and they thought these people were crazy. (laughs) And then staring at the picture of people in white cloaks and hoods, (laughs) my girls asked, well, why are they wearing costumes? And I said in the best way I could. When people are that afraid and full of that much hate, deep down, they feel ashamed. And so they cover themselves so they can stay secret. Like when people hate that much, they have to hide because the power of hate scares even them. My girls were concerned and confused, which is exactly how I feel about all of those kinds of groups of people. But I put my arms around them and I just said, you don't have to worry, my loves. We love Jesus and we believe he created every single human being and there's glory and goodness in every person on the planet. So we treat everyone like God's holy creation. Every color of person is exactly right in God's eyes. So to hate anyone because of the gorgeous color God chose, that just says more about you than it does about them. I thought maybe I had totally nailed this one. One of my daughters said, Hating people is stupid. That's right. I was high-fiving angels. My other daughter told me that I had really bad breath. (laughs) They were both right. Back in line, my daughter asked, Mama, what does her sign say? I bent down and I pulled her in close and I just said, Her sign says that your cousin's lives matter. Without skipping a beat, she said, Duh, of course they do and then went to chase her brother. The woman and I exchanged smiles and we moved ahead in the line. My joy in seeing how my daughter was so unimpressed with the notion that someone's life didn't matter was interrupted by a large imposing man in his 60s. 
His big pot-bellied body was wrapped tight like a sausage casing about to burst in a t-shirt that in big bold letters read, God, Guns, Trump 2020. He was waving an American flag and smoking a camel-wide cigarette. And in between the deep inhale of Camel Joe and the white plume of smoke, he shouted over my children and the families in line, get out of my country. He was cursing and yelling derogatory words over this line of families trying to get a corn dog to the people on the other side who were standing and holding signs. Next to him were a group of young college kids in their early 20s. They were in a continual loop, like, but it was quiet. It was a quiet rhetoric countering this man's like every cry of indignation. No one heard anyone. The only people who were listening were the families and children standing in line. The spirit of offense was more than a fog here. It was a tidal wave in the atmosphere. And with every crash, the offense and the offended self created more and more confusion and friction. As I stood there waiting for Matt to find us, I got confused. Why was this man yelling at the Black Lives Matter protesters? And why the American flag? And why, oh why, the world's tightest shirt? Was he mad that they were protesting? So he was protesting their protest? Was he mad that they were black? Which, by the way, there was literally one black person. Was he angry that the white people were holding signs supporting the movement? Did he presume that by supporting the movement meant that they were not supporting God, guns, or Trump? I could not understand. The pseudo-Berkeley tie-dye brigade, who, by the way, was wearing socks with Birkenstocks in the summer, was so meek and non-threatening that it was like watching a gnat fly around the nose of a bull. Not harmful, but only served to agitate him and everyone else. It was a total cluster. No one heard anyone. And what made this even more confusing to me is how many people were walking by, stopping to shake this man's hand and thank him. Was I missing something? I was starting to feel sick and maybe I was in an alternate universe and wondering how badly we really needed these corn dogs. We stood on a line and you could almost watch the line sway toward one side or the other like buoys in the water. And the spirit of offense just kept stirring the tide. When Matt arrived, I told him what was going down and he stood in line. And I took the kids to go sit under a tree and wait. Thankfully, they were distracted by the massive tree trunk and paid no attention to the yelling and the new additions that kept coming to the Americana profanity crew. And I wondered as I sat there how much longer I would be able to distract my children from these reality realities. And then I wondered if avoiding them was doing them harm or if there was some right way to engage here. Was I responsible for the teachable moment? Like I said, parenting's hard. I moved through so many emotions and big shocker after moving through sadness and anger, I fell right into being offended. I made a decision about who was wrong with no evidence except my uneducated bias but the enemy was clear and I started rehearsing my assault on the yellers and out yelling them with words and just verbally assaulting them in my mind, of course. 
I even went through the motions of becoming physical and imagined having to have Matt hold me back from punching someone. Maybe even the police would be called and I would be arrested for punching an old man in the name of justice or self-righteousness. I wasn't sure, but my imagination was way into this storyline. There's seriously no place in my life that I am not dramatic. To be honest, I had no issue with this guy promoting his belief on his like stretch to the last thread belly billboard. I had no issue with the college students speaking their beliefs in their weird outfit choices. Or maybe I did. But this is what I love about America. It's free speech, the right to have an opposing belief, the right to gather and make those opinions be heard. It's brilliant. But this left that beautiful Americana sentiment miles ago. This was ugly and sad. And I hated that my kids were witnessing it. I wanted to rage. And the offended self inside of me was inciting a wild hate. And then in the middle of my physical hate, I heard God say, you know, those people you hate are mine too. In the raging waters of offense and confusion and hate, God silenced my inner monologue of righteousness and I was instantly hungover. He got my attention and I was pissed off. His words sobered me and I hadn't realized how much offense I had drank in. The absolute frustration I felt as I heard him say this was like pouring gasoline on a fire and all my attention turned to him and I argued with God about how they were wrong and this was wrong and the whole situation was wrong and the world was wrong and it was their fault and they should be punished and it was probably his fault for not stopping it and he said to me kindly and a bit strong like a dad just teaching his daughter sweet girl in your offense do not slander my children Well, this just put me in a terrible mood. I felt unresolved in so many ways. It took another 30 minutes to get those dumb corn dogs. And it's taken me months to digest what God said to me. He did what good dads do. They tell you something true and allow the truth to penetrate the weak spots in our thinking and theology. Fast forward to September in my kitchen, watching the fog of offense roll in and being so aware that I have a choice. I am given the freedom to say yes to a thought, to a lie, to evil. And it's only when I agree to it and even agree to consider it, that it has power, that it has access to me and that moving in the opposite spirit, moving towards someone or something when the enemy wants you to be against it can relieve you of the offense and not just relieve you, but maybe incite healing instead of hate. If I was there again, I hope I would have had the courage to pursue the man with the flag. And if I could do it again, I would engage. I would get close and ask him about his life, his story. If I was there again, I hope I would be so much more aware of the lying spirit. And maybe I would have been an agitator of peace. If I was there again, I believe I would show up better. And I would for sure tell those kids to stop wearing socks with sandals because that's just gross. I am sure I will be here again. We will all be here again because these are the moments and times we're living in. In an atmosphere of offense, it's just so easy to make everyone and anyone the enemy. But really, there's only one enemy. 
and we'd for, we've forgotten it or we've been too distracted by our own opinions and our own rightness to actually fight the real devil. I mean, being offended can feel righteous and like you've chosen the right side. But when Jesus loves the people you hate, sides are hard to discern. Imagine if Jesus had agreed with the lying spirit of offense. Would he have walked miles out of his way to speak to the woman at the well? Wouldn't the spirit of offense have made him against her? And if he hadn't been kind to her, spoke to her about her life, would she have left and evangelized the whole village? Would Jesus have eaten with Zacchaeus? Without that overt act of sharing a meal with that tax-collecting thief, would that wee little man give back everything he had stolen and radically change the financial climate of the city and send them into prosperity? The Gospels are soaked with how Jesus moved in the opposite spirit, how he pursued and engaged with the most offensive people. Jesus inconvenienced himself and inconvenienced his followers just to connect and commune with those who were outliers. In our lives, in our small kingdoms, do we allow the spirit of offense airspace? Or do we pursue the most egregious of folks and include them? I don't always do this. I want to. I honestly wish I was telling you all these things because I was cured. I would, I would wish I was cured of being offended. But I'm not. And I'm on my way. It has taken months to process, to understand these events, how they were connected and what the Holy Spirit was actually trying to communicate with me. I don't know everything, but here's what I know for sure. The reason the spirit of offense is so rampant is because it's a counterfeit. The enemy does not have the power to create, but only to distort the truth. There is an offensive spirit in the kingdom, but it is not to make us hate but to make us love. The way Jesus loved was the most offensive act the world has ever known and ever seen. And the cross was the ultimate act of offense that made room for all at his table. There were no more outliers, no outcasts, because that one offensive, violent act of love released all of us from a life of being other. That day, he made a way for us to be his, We were no longer slaves, but friends, no longer orphaned, but sons and daughters. And as if that wasn't enough, he then released his spirit to pursue us day and night, to run after us, to chase after us and love every ounce of crap that separates us from him. That's a good father. That's a good king and a groom who loves his bride. We are in the times and the season where hate and fear and offense are common. We've become divided. We have formed tribes and we've made each other the enemy. But what if we saw each other as the bride, as God's children, even when we disagree? What if our first inclination to those who oppose us is to run towards them? What if this became the time and the season we look back on as the one where the church released a tsunami of love on people and the fear and brokenness, the offense and the divide was swallowed up by an obscene amount of generosity and inclusion. What if this is the era of believers that decide to have a new thought? And could that new thought create new grooves and pathways 
in our heart and in our communities that begin and end with Jesus. Let me ask you this. What are you aware of right now? Would you consider asking God to reveal the thing that is offending you? Are you aware of how the spirit of offense can masquerade as justice? And can you lay that down too? Ask him to show you how to move in the opposite spirit. Maybe it's not pursuit, but maybe it's generosity, inclusivity. Maybe it's even asking you to serve the person or the place that's offending you. Would you ask him to show you what it looks like? to move in the opposite spirit together. Father, I thank you so much for this time and this moment. I pray that there would be a fire in all of our bellies, that there would be a desire to rise and to run after you, to pursue you and to pursue those who we feel offended by. I pray that you would release on us new energy, new waves of emotion towards people. I pray that there would be new thoughts, thoughts that emerge that connect us and unite us, thoughts that become new ways of thinking and being, thoughts that change how we see each other, how we love each other. Father, I ask that there would be a whole new awareness and a nearness of you. I love you, God. Amen. Amen.